Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey there, good morning to you on a Friday. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton spinning the hits this morning, right, Mark? Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young for a reason. David Crosby passing away uh, yesterday. Actually, I believe on Wednesday, but it was announced yesterday at the age of 81. A fascinating life, obviously. Um, I was reading about just kind of his journey and, and the different things, the different projects with which he was involved. Um, of course, later in life, fathered two children uh through artificial <clears throat> insemination but uh, with melissa etheridge i think that's well, a name people uh, melissa etheridge by the way um serendipitously a couple of years ago shannon and i went to the state fair and and melissa etheridge was playing the free stage and i'm like that that has to be like a tribute band right and then we went um I've never been like some diehard fan. We ended up watching the entire show. Fabulous entertainer and great singer. Um, but at any rate, David Crosby passing away uh, on a Friday. Good or not, he didn't pass away on a Friday, but today's a Friday, so good Friday morning to everybody. Uh, Friday, of course, turns into Saturday, and then on Thursday, Saturday was part of the Colts conversation. By that I mean yesterday. In fact, Kevin Jeff Saturday. Officially being interviewed, I guess, for the Colts head coaching job. I would assume that was virtual because I think he is still in Georgia. That's kind of irrelevant. But are you surprised that he wasn't like the first one to be interviewed? Or do you think they wanted to kind no, of put the dust aside? Yeah, let, let him breathe a little bit. Let him kind of get into the off season. Like you said, down in Georgia, it sounded like with some family matters earlier this week. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think I put any sort of stock into that. I think the Colts knew that this was going to be a quieter week for interviews. So let's put Saturday into this week, whereas last week, late in the week, it was a let's get to Shane Steichen, knowing that he's the Eagles offensive coordinator and he's going to play a football game after the bye week or coach a football game after the bye week. Same thing with Eric Bieniemy. It was reported yesterday D'Amico Ryans, um, I believe, might interview the Colts either today or tomorrow, I thought I saw on the report. Obviously, San Francisco plays Sunday, um, Ryan's a very sought-after candidate right now. Um, and then it looks like on Sunday you'll have the Giants coordinators, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale, interview. The Giants play the Eagles on Saturday night. So uh, you've got five candidates that have not yet interviewed but the Colts have interest in that will all have games this weekend. Um, again, in the first game, that would be Chiefs-Jags on Saturday. Eric Bieniemy is the lone candidate in that game. He's already interviewed. In the nightcap, again, Shane Steichen, the Eagles OC, is already interviewed. The Giants duo ha- has not. That would be Kafka and Martindale. Then you look at Sunday. Uh, I'm, are you surprised at all we haven't heard Leslie Frazier's name if you look at the Bills? I am because, Kevin, Leslie Frazier is a name that I had heard like two months ago three but i mean when jeff saturday became the interim head coach the first name that i heard from not anybody within the organization but people close to it said hey the name that i keep hearing bouncing around is leslie frazier is one that they will inevitably or eventually talk to and yet that has yet to happen former assistant here interviewed in 2018 the second time around again it was frank reich dan campbell leslie frazier that was the final three that they uh, interviewed after the McDaniels fiasco. Uh, but in that 3 o'clock game, uh, it'll be Frazier's defense going up against you know Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan. So Callahan, the Bengals OC, uh, is the newest name on the list. And then in the nightcap Sunday, both defensive coordinators in that matchup, Dan Quinn, D'Amico Ryans, on the interest list. So, you know, some appointment viewing, I guess, for Colts fans. And, and basically what I think we're at, Jake, is... I think we're kind of nearing halftime of the interview plan schedule, whatever you want to call it. Seems like a—I I don't recall it ever being this many people, though. The NFL has 
it is a lot of people. I will I will point that out. But I think this is the quantity of people is probably a little bit more than the other openings. But I don't think you're seeing any sort of rush, and it's kind of what the NFL has wanted. They want these coaches that are coaching in the playoffs to have a legit chance. Whereas Chuck Pagano, again, he didn't get that interview until two days after the AFC Championship game. They now want to start to get a little bit more patience in the process. Let these playoff coaches get into the cycle. Basically, where I think we're at is this. You'll get these divisional round coaches either interviewed today, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday. So now you'll kind of be done with the first round of interviews. And I think by this time next week, we start to get into the second interview for some of these candidates. Now, if you're still playing the championship game, you can't do that. We'll have two championship games a week from Sunday. But I think late next week, early the following week, we'll start to get into a little bit more of a finalist uh, point of view. I think the thing that would be a challenge and the thing that I would be looking for if I were Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay, when you are looking for a head coach in the National Football League, you are essentially looking for somebody that falls into one of three categories for the most part. A, they are an existing or previous head coach somewhere. B, they are an offensive coordinator. Or C, they are a defensive coordinator. Now, conventional wisdom would say if you are a team who offense was your Achilles in the previous season and the reason for a coaching search because things didn't go well, then you would be looking for an offensive-minded head coach except for that they just had an offensive-minded head coach who had come from an offensive coordinator background in Frank Reich, and the offense was the issue. And maybe that was because you had too many chefs in the kitchen. Maybe that's because you had a head coach that... I would argue was only really an issue this past year. I think the first four years... Agreed, but I'm saying, I mean, this year in terms of when everything went awry, that they literally, their offense was like... Yeah, historically. B. Arthur trying to run a halfback sweep. I mean, just, you know, it was stagnant, right? And... What you have to ask yourself, and I know that the ultimate answer would be, well, I mean, we'd like to see a mix of both, but are you are you looking more for somebody who has the characteristic of being an X's and O's, a Bill Walsh, a Bill Belichick level tactician that is a strategist that comes up with game plans that are that lift you to victory, or are you looking for somebody who has kind of the humility to allow the two respective coordinators to coach their side of the ball and you simply are somebody that is simply a leader that guys want to play for, which is what a Tony Dungy did, right? I mean, Dungy, don't get me wrong, he had a, he had a thumbprint on things, but... I think ideally you get a little both. Probably like more I said, the latter. I mean, but which, are, which, for me personally, if I was doing... And there's a reason I'm talking on the radio and I'm not over on West 56 in meetings right now, probably. But if it were up to me, I would say I'm looking for the person that, to me, their schematic advantage, to use Charlie Weiss's words, are secondary to me to how good a leader are they that people want to simply play for. We've all had bosses that treat you in such a professional and respectful manner and lead with an example where you're like, I don't want to disappoint that person. That's what Tony Dungy was. And are you looking for that or are you looking for somebody that comes in and says, I have the answer on X's and O's and here's how we're going to do it. And, you know, are you looking for Bill Parcells or, or are you looking for just somebody who has a leadership type quality and then designates the X's and O's to coordinators. I would go with the latter. Yeah, it's probably a little bit more the latter, but I don't want to lose oversight of the first part, Jake, because in the NFL, in a league that defines parity, you have to have a sharp advantage schematically X's and O's on a weekly basis. And that is why a guy like Mike Kafka, the Giants OC, is intriguing to me. You look at like Saquon Barkley this year. If you're going to say the Giants are going to make the playoffs and they're going to win a road game in the playoffs, you would say Saquon Barkley ran for 2,000 yards and had some extraordinary season. Like he's just been the bell cow. He has been dominant, this and that. I saw something yesterday where Barkley like had 20 some carries in seven of the first eight games, you know, heavy dose of them. And over the last two months, 
I think he's eclipsed that number like once. So you've seen an offense evolve. You've seen an offense change. You've seen a group that is not, we're going to do what we do well, and we're going to do it week in and week out. So I think you have to have a little bit of mix of the two things that you lay out. Now, again, I side with the latter, and I thought an issue that Frank Reich had was he was so indebted to the offensive side of the ball he almost forgot about the rest of the football team. He would probably push back on that, right. but I think that was an issue for him. And I know it's college versus the NFL, but let's go back to the college football semifinal game for a second. Ohio State-Georgia. Unbelievable game. Back and forth. Ohio State runs that fake punt, remember, in the fourth quarter? Right. And they're going to get it. And all of a sudden, you hear the late whistle. And Kirby Smart, who... Is a CEO. Let's his OC Todd Munkin do his thing. Let's his defensive coordinator do his thing. He oversees the operation. He saw something pre-snap that indicated to him, oh my gosh, they might fake this. We're not ready for it. And he runs down and takes a timeout split second before that ball is snapped. If that's Frank Reich as the head coach, Jake, there's probably a good chance that Frank Reich is looking at his call sheet, talking with Matt Ryan, Stetson Bennett, whoever, if you want to continue out the, the analogy and say, all right, when we get this ball back here on the punt, oh, wait, did they just fake it? Right. You know, and so I think that's the aspect to Nick Sirianni has adopted this. Even though he's an offensive coach, he gave up play calling duties. Brian Dable at the Giants gave up play calling duties, even though that was their offensive background. I think the expectation was you would do that. So, again, I think it's a little bit of both, but. Players, I think, also want to walk out of a meeting room and want to get on the field on Sunday and feel like, I really like our game plan. Well, that's it. Like, I, I, I feel like I we've got an advantage schematically along with, I want to play for that. Okay, here's, you've seen Forrest Gump, right? Oh, yeah. Did, that was did, me on the Mike Bray news running down the neighborhood, by the way. What's that? Running oh, I, out of I my house. I thought you were Frank I the Tank. I just felt like running. <laughs> but... Do you remember when Bubba and Forrest first meet Lieutenant Dan and Forrest says, I hope we don't disappoint him or something along those lines, right? That was really good. Thank you. Um, but that's the kind of coach I want is is one that just has a leadership about them where they're not necessarily overly, you know, he, he Lieutenant Dan was not. The, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket, right? Was Jeff Saturday more drill sergeant or more I don't want to disappoint? The players seem to like a little bit of drill sergeant. I, with Jeff Saturday, I don't know the answer to that. The problem is Jeff Saturday was still in, he was put in a tough spot because he was just the interim. And like, you know, Saturday's biggest problem, I think, Kevin, was that he was airdropped in with a bunch of, with like this hodgepodge of coaches that. Half like were bought in, half weren't. One left. I, I mean, it just was a. He was put into a terrible situation. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying, to be fair, we do, it's it's a it's apples and oranges because Jeff Saturday was put in a situation where there was no one around that asked for Jeff Saturday or that was expecting is probably a better way of saying it. Jeff Saturday. Whereas you bring in a new head coach, he has a meeting at the beginning of the year. He's got coordinators that he brought in that want to work for him. You might have had guys that that were wondering why they weren't the one that was the interim head coach. So I just think oh, that you definitely did. You know, a bunch of different chefs in the kitchen. But I just want a guy that people say I don't want to disappoint that guy, as opposed to, man, I got to play hard because if not, then then this guy's not going to put me on the field. I just See, I feel like Frank Reich was the disappointment guy. Maybe I, I think they could be looking for a 180 on that. Reportedly, again, Brian Callahan, Bengals OC, will interview today. That is ahead of Sunday's matchup with the Bills. And then, reportedly, Dan Quinn, who I know JMV is a big fan of, uh, one of two people on the list that have head coaching experience. He will interview today. Obviously, these are virtual with the Cowboys and the Bengals respectively playing on Sunday, both playing road games um, so busy late in the week as a little bit of quiet time as the game plans are set for these respective divisional teams. Travel's happening. They can fit in a little bit of virtual interview here. So thanks picking back up here for the Colts. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hi there. Good morning. It's a Friday. Hope you folks are set for not only a spectacular day today, but getting ready for a fun and or relaxing weekend, productive one, whichever you may be seeking. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, as he does each and every Friday, you, of course, hear his voice calling a number of different sporting events around the state of Indiana. You could also see his work and efforts on the ISC Sports Network, as well as the Colts postgame show during the Colts season. Greg Rakestraw joins us now. Greg, I'm going to begin with this. Yesterday, officially now, Jeff Saturday had his interview for the Colts head coaching position. Do you read into, in any way, shape, or form, the fact that the season's been over for a while now, and they have interviewed a number of candidates and then got to Jeff Saturday. Anything we should read into that? No, and, and this is not some sort of insider scoop. This is always kind of my observation on it. But I always thought they would interview virtually everybody else and give Jeff kind of like the last look. Um, and, and that's not an, oh, by the way, let's give him a conversation. It is, we know the most about you. Let's bring in all of these candidates you will get your interview. To me, I think Jeff being interviewed signifies that this process, at least from an interview standpoint, is about to come to an end. I think we'll have a decision on the next head Colts, the next head coach of the Colts at some point in time. I would say next week. Now, the other question somebody pointed this out to me. I thought it was a fair question. Do you read into at all the fact that they interviewed Jeff Saturday and then presumably after they interviewed him? then requested permission for more candidates a la Callahan in Cincinnati. Um, I, it's, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. They have gone through so many people at this point um, that you would think they've got a pretty good list put together. So not sure what to make of that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I don't think I put too much into that. I understand what the timing looked like there on that, but I don't put too much into that. Uh, Ray, kind of shifting gears a little bit here, and again, Greg Rakestraw with us, ISC Sports Network. Um, it looked like you almost had a Jags victory last night there for a minute. Ah, uh, came awfully close, and it's a situation IUPUI has not been in a lot the last couple of years. They're up three, and the opponent has the ball. They elected not to foul and the hometown kid sticks him. So Jalen Moore from Cloverdale grew up in the Indianapolis area. I knew I recognized um, that name. Yeah, it hit one from 30. The only three that Oakland made the entire second half to send it to overtime, and Oakland wins it in overtime. So, and Oakland is, is, is a mid-level, upper-half team in our league, which shows that if, again, IUPUI can play well, there's not that big of a difference, say, 1 through 11 in our league, but uh, but disappointing because things have kind of been headed in the other direction. Uh, you know, they had lost two of their last three games by 30 or more points, so it's great to see them be more competitive, but knowing how tough it has been to get W's and knowing they haven't won a home league game in, in the last two years, it had been awful nice to see that one go the other direction last night. Rick, obviously some of the big news in college basketball yesterday, Mike Bray retiring after... Um, a hell of a run over a couple decades there across two conferences in the Big East and ACC. Um, I, I I don't think it's a good job. I, I, I don't know if that's how it's viewed around college basketball, but let me uh, throw you into an advisor role. If you were the advisor to Michael Lewis and Notre Dame called Michael Lewis, what would you tell him? Uh, take the job. Uh, and, and Mike Bray has made that a significantly better job than obviously it was when he got there. And, and it's probably time for, for, for Mike to, to move on, and, and I would assume television would be in his future at, at some level because he is that good of a personality and, and genuinely a good guy by all that, has come, by all that have come across him. Uh, and, and I've had limited dealings over the years, but, but they, they've all been great. But again, for the wonderful work he's done to get that program to where it is, probably time to, to go in a different direction. But because of their status in the ACC, because of the resources that they have, Mike has made that, um, if not a top 10 to 15 job in the country, really? I think it's a top 
20 to 30 job in the country, and, mm. and that's a far cry from what it was. Gosh, Rick, I wish I had that optimism. I think the fan base is horrible and the facilities are mediocre, and I think it's tough to s- sustain in the ACC. You're selling the University of Notre Dame, and yes, I know you got a very competitive conference, but as much as, again, it has become tougher and tougher to sustain success at the mid-major level, and so much of the NCAA tournament is teams from those power conferences, you can win there, and, and, and I think you can win there quickly, and you can do it at that institution. So based off, and this is my last one on the Notre Dame front, hell, I could talk about it for two hours, but we wouldn't have any listeners, so I don't want to go down this path too much longer. But based off that answer, the other name I was going to throw at you that has indie ties and has some South Bend ties is Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State. What would be your advice if Notre Dame came calling there? Uh, I would run to that job if I were Micah, uh, because Penn State is a place that is very difficult to win, and obviously, you talk about facilities and, and differences and, and things like that. Um, you know, the weather this time of year in State College, Pennsylvania, and South Bend, Indiana, I don't think is all that different. <laughs> but I still think it's a different ask if you're recruiting young men to play at the University of Notre Dame versus playing at Penn State. Um, I would, I, to me, Mike is a guy that should be very, very high on their list. Yeah, I, I would say Penn State and Notre Dame are similar jobs in some extent, Greg, in the fact that Notre Dame clearly has a, a richer basketball tradition than does Penn mm-hmm. State. Um, a lot of the drawbacks are the equivalent of the two. To me, the tiebreaker would be that Notre Dame is in an area that is easier to recruit to because you can go into, you know, there are a lot of good high school players and they are great high school players in the Pittsburgh, Philly area, don't get me wrong, but State College just feels like it's more of an outpost than does get, getting people to South Bend. Absolutely. I mean, you can live, and obviously what Notre Dame has done and what Mike has done is been, you know, get great Catholic school kids from all across the country. But at Notre Dame, you can set up shop Chicago suburbs, Indianapolis, Cleveland, get kids out of the state of Michigan, which you really haven't done a lot of. Um, but the other thing that, 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 again, everybody has access to now, uh, and, and I don't think Notre Dame's academics are going to stand in the way of this, given the amount of transfers that Mike Bray has brought in previously, is you can hit the transfer portal. And as long as as it's kids that are in good academic standing, uh, again, that is an easy pitch to come play at the University of Notre Dame and to play in the ACC against some of the best competition in the country. Rick, I know you saw him at the Hall of Fame Classic, um, and this has some relevance, I think, around the state, so I'll, I guess I'll lie and continue on the Notre Dame path here for just a second. But Marcus Burton from Penn sure. um, is arguably the big t- or the Mr. Basketball favorite here and is committed to Notre Dame. Anytime you have a coaching change, of course, I would say that recruit's phone is blowing up a bit. Uh, Purdue's got Braden Smith, obviously. Indiana's got a point guard from Ohio coming in next year. Uh, would it make sense at all for Indiana or Purdue or a Butler to get involved with Marcus Burton? A Butler, maybe, um, just because I think there's more of an immediate need there. You know, Marcus is going to have to play the point guard spot. You know, I think at, at, at the larger level, he does a lot of playing off of the ball because he is a guy that is, is so speedy and can create his own chances. He's just a good ball player. You know, you'll find a place for him. You know, it's a little bit different when the kid is from the school's backyard. Uh, in terms of the allure of playing there. Um, but does another coach potentially view him differently? Possibly. Um, again, he's a talented player. Purdue's got enough of a logjam of, of current recruits. You know, you mentioned, obviously, Lawyer and Smith. But you got Miles Coleman following those guys up. So I don't know if there's room at the end for at Purdue. In terms of Indiana, again, you know, what is Jalen Huchifino going to do? You've got Gabe Cups coming in. Maybe Indiana's more of a possibility. But again, I, I, I think if Marcus Burton's from anywhere else other than literally from the shadows of the campus, maybe this is more of a conversation. I'd really be surprised if he doesn't end up staying at home and still going to Notre Dame. You know what's fascinating to me, Greg? Greg Gregstraw's our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. I, Jalen Hood Shafino. And I don't put a lot of stock into like mock drafts and that kind of thing, but it does give you an idea of what national perspectives are of players. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hood Shafino came in as 
a top flight, you know, highly touted recruit. He's got good size. He's obviously got good quickness. And his outside shot's been a little erratic, but I think he is really showing himself here. And I'm fascinated because I don't see his name anywhere in like mock drafts, but yet I've talked to people that are like, no, he's probably playing his way now into the first round. But for whatever reason, I don't see a lot of discussion of that. But it does feel like, and I don't know the young man at all, but Greg, you tell me if I'm wrong. It feels like he's a guy that came to Indiana with sights on getting to the league as quick as he could get there because he came in with that kind of a pedigree. Sure, absolutely. And and once you are labeled as such in high school, you almost have to play your way out of that. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that he is doing that. The other thing I would say is this, is that, you know, we talk about, you know, kind of that, that, that player pool at Purdue, and they are doing something that seemingly – Nobody else has the capability of doing these days in college basketball, and that is recruit, you know, four and five year guys. And and by God, they they're even redshirting people up there. You know, who does that these days to guys that are that could be you know top end of the roster players? I would almost argue that every college coach these days, whether a kid's thinking about the NBA or not, you are recruiting your roster for one year because there is such movement, there is such fluidity that, you know, whether it's NBA or playing elsewhere, you know, you know what your team looks like a year from now could be completely different from the group you got playing for you right now. And he's Greg Rankstraw. He's with us here on the ISC, from the ISC Sports Network, um, courtesy of the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, uh, I saw Ben Davis from a boys' basketball standpoint. Their name's been thrown around in some national rankings. I could be totally yep. wrong on the on the comparison. I've only seen just highlights of them a couple times. It almost seems like this team is a little bit reminiscent of like those David Bell Warren Central teams of not, nailed it. Okay, not like a super high major talent, but just so solid and, and quality depth. Been saying that for the last month. That's exactly what they are. Um, they're probably a little bit deeper than that Warren Central team. Obviously, with Dowdy, they've got more size in that Warren Central team. You know, that, that team from five years ago, obviously David Bell is playing in, in the NFL. I, I do think he could have been a role player at Purdue. I really, he was that good of a basketball player. But Dean Tate ended up at Purdue Northwest. Antoine Cushingberry's at St. Francis. Jacoby Robinson uh, and uh, Jesse Bingham. Jack Jesse just scored a 1,000 point at UND in his second year there. Um, you've got the guys that kind of came after them that, that got a little time, like Malik Stanley, Sean Black, uh, that, that I know Malik's playing at the University of Tampa uh, at, at this point. So a lot is really high-end division to an NAI kids. This Ben Davis team, frankly, is a little higher level of recruit. Dowdy's going to play at Valparaiso. Uh, Sheridan Sharp is not going to Nickel State. Um, you know, the Zachary kid is going to be a Division One football kid, but he's playing so well in basketball. Maybe that door is open. And again, he's got two more years. He's a sophomore. You've got the other two senior starters that are both Division Two players. Um, KJ Windham, who's not coming off the bench, I think he's probably a Division One recruit. He is just a junior, uh, but but it is a very apropos comparison. Um, Zane Dowdy's their leading scorer. He averages about 13 points a game. He had four in the county championship against Lawrence North, and they won by 22. Kind of tells you no need to know about that group. It doesn't have to be from one specific player. Dowdy's the one kid that they can't replicate, who has now become the all-time leading rebounder at, at Ben Davis High School. And that statement's a mouthful, given the players that have played there over the years. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's a pretty remarkable group, one through eight, one through nine, and I'm not sure anybody in the state's got a matchup for him this year. By the way, I came up with here's my list of jobs that I think are definitively better jobs than Notre Dame. Ah, oh, jeez, you ready? Salt in the wounds here, <laughs> Greg. Let me read this to you, and then, and we won't go too far into it. But let me read this to you, and then once I'm done, you tell me if there's any that jumps out at you where you go, Jake, you're crazy. I want to give okay, Rake a hug yeah. after saying Notre Dame's a top twenty job. Indiana, Louisville, this is no particular order, by the way. Indiana, Louisville, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, UCLA, Arizona, Michigan State, Illinois, Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan, Virginia, Arkansas, Texas, and Connecticut. Arkansas and Virginia, I think, would be on par with them, but your list is pretty good. And UCLA, obviously, you're recruiting kids to Los Angeles. We don't know 
what the impact of them playing in the Big Ten is going to be. That's a good point. Or hurt their recruiting. Right. So I, I, w- I would put that off to the side a little bit right now. Tom Crane to Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I, probably not. Again, just don't they need a little life? How, don't they need a little energy? Given how bad the Georgia stint went for Tom, no. I, I, I think if Tom wants to get back into coaching, uh, I think it's going to be more at a at a mid major level than it would be at a at a major conference level. To be to be frank. All right, the weekend slate for you, Rake. I assume the pairing show for the girls coming up on Sunday will be part of your schedule. That is correct. So Lawrence North, North Central tonight, IUPUI tomorrow afternoon against Antoine Davis and Mike Davis in Detroit Mercy. And then tomorrow night, Carmel and Brownsburg, and Brownsburg checks in at number three in the polls this week. Antoine just set the record, right? Most threes in NCAA history? Correct. And again, this is I'm happy for the kid, and I'm happy for anybody that went through the COVID year that they get extra time. This is his fifth full-ish season. Because really, I don't know how many games, like IUPUI that year played 18. I'm assuming Detroit Mercy played about 24, 25 uh, that season uh, in, in 2021. But yes, he is one of the most prolific scorers in the history of college basketball. He also gets the benefit of playing something okay. close to five full seasons. He so also... asterisk with that. And a, and a phenomenal shooter, phenomenal scorer, don't get me wrong. But, Greg, we've all been, like, driving somewhere early in the morning and there's some jogger that's got on, like, some bright neon green outfit so that you can see them while they're jogging in the dark. Uh, that's He doesn't have a green light. He's got, like, a fluorescent green <laughs> see-it-from-ten-miles-away light, right? He may be attempting shots for tomorrow's games right now, <laughs> <laughs> to, your, to your point. So, again, he is phenomenal to watch. So I'm not trying to say anything negative about the kid. He is a wonderful talent, and it's so cool. You know, it's 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 almost not with, not without the conference tournament success or the NCAA legacy yet. But it's very similar to a guy like Bryce Drew that said, "You know what? I'm going to play at a slightly smaller level so I can play for my dad." Antoine is doing that because clearly how he has played, even if you question his size and his skill set, you know, as a at going into high school or going into college. Now you got two or three years of examples. Yeah, he can easily be playing at a higher level, but he's not. He's chosen to stay and play at home for his dad, and there's something that I really have a great deal of admiration for that. Rake, enjoy uh, all of that on the weekend schedule, and we'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Fellas. Traffic on Twitter. Jake, can I, can uh, I just interject that if I had done that, you'd be all over me about the fact that my mic wasn't on and what am I doing? I just sit in casual. I don't even bring it. I don't even bring it up. I just, you know. You, you could argue the lack of care is an indicator of why you misplace your headset on a routine basis there. Uh, <clears throat> James Boyd going to join us to talk Colts head coaching search here in just a minute. Uh, kind of a cool graphic I saw on Twitter. MLB stadiums in location to downtown, their respective downtowns, basically the closest stadiums to downtown, the furthest stadium away from their downtown is What? The Washington Commanders. Excuse me, Major League Baseball. Oh, oh, I'm no, sorry. No, you said Major League Baseball. He just went NFL. Mm. Yeah, shocking. Sorry. Uh, okay. They're the all, ma- all of the them. Atlanta are, Braves. Okay, the Atlanta Braves looks to be the second. Okay. Furthest. Texas Rangers. That is the furthest. Kansas City Royals. Which one wasn't on it now, Mark, huh? Well, you said NFL first. Third time's a charm. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Listening. Uh, looks to be the closest. Cardinals, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, Reds, Twins. I mean, Brewers is right there. It's kind of an interesting. I'd love to see that for the NFL. It's got to be the stadium has to be there near there too. Mets is kind of is by LaGuardia. Mets and Yankees are pretty far out there. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Our next guest, James Boyd from The Athletic. James obviously covers the Colts, um, and I do want to get into a lot of head coaching stuff with James. 
uh, because I, I find the process interesting and ever-changing, and I'm feeling James kind of covering his first one probably feels the same way. But, James, we do have to start here. I was thinking about your mentions last night on Twitter as a Fighting Illini uh, product and as one that, if I'm not mistaken, has uh, been a little outspoken before about the in- Indiana-Illinois rivalry. Yeah, man, I think I learned my lesson this time around because last year, uh, I think I, people didn't really know who I was at the time. So when I was making jokes, uh, I got people got a little feisty and a little mean and were in my mentions for days on end to talk about a game. And so uh, last time was a little more fun, a little more mild. But yeah, I got more IU friends than I actually can remember. I was like, oh, dang, like, you know, my phone was getting flooded with a bunch of. Uh, you know, uh, red and uh, white, you know, circles and stuff like that and, and emojis and just a lot of trash talk. And I really couldn't say much back because it was bad. <laughs> it was you know, ugly. Here's what's interesting to me, James. And I don't mean this as a disrespect to Illinois. I mean, I, it's been a very good program. Certainly, you know, I've seen some Illinois teams that were unbelievable. But just yesterday, I started hearing all of this buzz about it being a rivalry. And I thought, from an Indiana standpoint... Broadcasts really try to drive that home. Yeah, and like from an from growing up a diehard IU fan, Illinois was certainly absolutely a respected opponent and one that you you know thought would be a great win if you were to go on the road and win there. But if I had to list Indiana basketball rivalries, I, it wouldn't be in the top five. What about from the Illinois side? Yeah, I don't personally. I don't think it is. I just think it's something to try to inject some new life into. Just, I guess, this new era of Illinois basketball. But, I mean, you can say whatever you want until you go out there and, and then you get smacked in the face like that by Trace Jackson Davis and, and company. Um, whatever you said beforehand does not apply. So, um, it, was, it was pretty weird to kind of see them kind of bill it that way. Um, and, again, when you don't perform, it's even harder to kind of have those legs to stand on. So, I thought it was funny. Um, I don't mind it. Like, if you try to build it up, I know they showed the Chester Frazier Eric Gordon chest bump and all that stuff, but it just it didn't live up to it. And especially if you're going to get smacked and not smack anybody back, I mean, my goodness, it was and just not no really double a game ever. No, no. And then I was reading comments afterwards. You know, Brad Underwood saying the 35 isn't what beat us; it's the other guys. And I'm like, eh, 35 is like a lot of points. That usually helps teams win games. So. It's my analysis. <laughs> He's James Boyd. He's going to regroup here in the next 48 hours uh, from The Athletic, <laughs> and Illinois product. Again, covers the Colts for The Athletic alongside Zach Kiefer and Bob Kravitz. James, a lot of candidates. Uh, it's over a dozen now. Uh, let's put Bubba Ventrone and Jeff Saturday to the side. Everybody else is either an offensive or defensive coordinator. Give me one offensive name that has stood out to you in doing some background and one defensive name that has stood out to you in doing the background. Um, I'd say Shane Steichen to start off with offense um, just because of the quarterbacks he's worked with. You know, he's worked with Phillip Rivers, worked with Justin Herbert. Most impressively, perhaps, he's worked with Jalen Hurts. You know, and you can expect Herbert and Phillip Rivers to kind of be the star players they've become because they were top ten picks, but Jalen Hurts was a second rounder who's now in the MVP conversation. So, obviously, that's a that's a big you know, get and, and, and a guy who, you know, obviously would be pretty interesting if you pair him with a first-year quarterback, which the Colts, you know, should do. They should definitely draft a quarterback. Um, then you have Brian Callahan, who kind of jumped in there late, and, I, you know, he's reportedly interviewing today for the Colts job. So, obviously, given his ties to Peyton Manning, Joe Burrow, you know, Matthew Stafford, that's another one that would probably be a very good uh, fit if you're trying to kind of structure an offense around, you know, a, a young mind and, and, and a guy who, you know, presumably would be the first year franchise. And then defensively, you know, like Jonathan Gannon, who the stuff that he's done over there with, you know – um, the Eagles, they, they've been pretty solid, you know, in the, in the years that he's been there. Obviously, they've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. And I just think that, you know, the other big, big defensive name who will probably be at the top of this is D'Amico Ryans, just because of, I mean, look at the San Francisco defense. Obviously, talent helped, but he's been lights out, man. I feel like just the last two years around the league, um, he's been that, that name that's probably buzzed the most, you know, among uh, head coaching candidates. And it feels like, if it's not Indy, it might be somewhere else for that type of guy. And because of not only who will vouch for him, you know, on the 49ers side, but who will vouch for him around the league and the staff, he will probably be able to build. What do you believe, James? James Boyd is our guest. He's from the Athletic. He's on the Payless Liggers hotline. What do you believe is the percentage chance Jeff Saturday is hired on as the head coach full-time? Percentage chance? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, 
Man, I'd have to say if they're doing this legitimately, which I believe they are, I would say 5%. Um, it's hard to overcome the resumes of other guys that are you know up against him. And that's something against Jeff Saturday. I think that he, I've said this you know multiple times. He cares. He's passionate. Um, I don't doubt that at all. But at some point, the experience, um, the knowledge, and just the amount of you know being able to mess up and said, "Hey, this is what I've learned. This is what I've you know done to grow since then," matters. And I know people have kind of been harping on Raheem Morris his first time as a head coach and and things like that. But you got to remember, this guy has twenty years now. You know, twenty plus years in the NFL as a coach. So that matters. And I think that that's the thing that probably hurts Jeff Saturday the most. And then when I look at just how many candidates, it's like, you're not just going up against, you know, four or five guys, you're going against multiple people. I mean, you know, and, and dozens, you know, not dozens, but I mean, double digits amount of people. So um, it's hard, man. I think that the only reason he's even being considered for the job is because of him being interim coach and his relationship with Jim Ursay. But at some point I believe if you, if you know, Chris Ballard, as he said, is leading this search, um, Jim Arce needs to trust him and let him do that. And I don't think, you know, from the comments that, you know, Ballard made that he's very high on Jeff Saturday. And I don't think anybody should be that high on him, honestly. It's James Boyd with The Athletic. Again, alongside Zach Kiefer, Bob Kravitz. He joins us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. James, what have you made of an NFL head coaching search? You know, I feel like in the college world, it's so secretive. It usually happens very quickly. Um, from an NFL standpoint, we're, what, two weeks removed from the end of the season, and none of the five openings have been filled so far. So I, just more of a curiosity thing in general because it is ever-changing. I mean, it's a different process for me covering it, you know, five years removed from what it was in 2018 when Frank Reich eventually got the job. So what have you thought of it? Yeah, I think even transitioning from the NBA to the NFL, it's just weird that everything is like, announced there's like a schedule for it you know what i'm saying like where this is when you know they can start talking to coaches and everyone was talking about black monday and i'm like what the heck is that and it's like when everyone gets fired and they start you know, looking for coaches and i was like oh this is a thing like every single year so you know as a fan when you hear like the coaching cycle i was pretty much a casual nfl fan but now being like kind of more immersed in the sport i'm like oh like there is truly a cycle and just a, a way that they do things every single year and I think that's the most surprising thing is just how open they are about it. And so you're able to dive in. And I think one of the more enticing things, which is, I guess, to the NFL's credit, is they make everything a spectacle, you know, by announcing the names and kind of, you know, reporting who's where. And, and you know, you can able to look up guys' backgrounds. You, you can just create more dialogue, more news, more, you know, uh, just things that people are willing to talk about as far as fans, coaches, players, whatever. And so I think that it's become – you know, it's a serious matter, but it's also something where you're able to weigh in and share your opinions and, again, have people, you know, in your comments, I'm sure you have used experience where you're just, they're debating, you know, this guy's great, this guy's terrible, and you get them flip-flopped with the next comment. So that's the most interesting thing to me. James Boyd is our guest. James, I asked Kevin this earlier. I'll run it past you as well. Um, when you hear, for example, the Colts have requested permission to talk to Brian Callahan, when you hear that, do you believe, you know, you were talking about the cycles and how the NFL works and, and you know, some of it kind of being illuminated to you. I, I don't fully understand this part of it, so I didn't know if the, that if you've asked people or, or found this out. Does that mean that, like, guys are, you know, is this like a typical job, like the Colts posted somewhere that they have a head coach hitting opening and head coach opening and guys applied for it and so then Send they went cover to those, letter. Yeah, then they went to the franchise and said, hey, <laughs> we'd like to interview this guy. Or are the Colts actually making the first move here? I believe the Colts are making the first move on a lot of these just because um, it. I can't imagine that, you know, guys who are probably in the middle of, you know, for example, Brian Callahan is, in the middle of his playoff run, he's like, hey, I want to go interview for this team. Or, you know, if you know someone over there, I suppose it could probably go that way, but I'd imagine that they're the ones requesting these interviews, doing it by the book. And then from there, I mean, you can accept it or deny it if you're, you know, a team or if you're a certain um, individual. So I think they're doing it legit. It just comes down to at this point, I'm like, okay, you've cast a wide net. When do we start seeing you whittle these things down? I know Brian Callahan is reportedly, reportedly supposed to interview today again, so – um, that kind of helps the timeline, but at some point we're going to stop seeing, um, you know, just new names and start seeing maybe some other names move on to actual in-person interviews or at least second interviews through Zoom and stuff like that. And 
what makes it interesting for him and D'Amico Ryan and others is like their teams are in the playoffs, and as long as those things keep going, this process could keep getting drawn out. So um, we'll see. And, and Chris Ballard said he's willing to wait till mid February if he has to to get the right guy. And quite honestly, that's the right approach because this decision and obviously the quarterback decision are two that are going to determine probably the fate of his job. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with the amount of patience and the intel the Colts are gathering throughout this process. Uh, Dan Quinn, the other reported interview for today for the Colts, along with, as James said, Brian Callahan. James Boyd with The Athletic is here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. James, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't have the answer to at all. Um, be Jim Mercer for a second, if you don't mind. You've just hired mm-hmm. Jeff Saturday. What are you saying in the press conference as to why you've hired Jeff Saturday? I'm I'm saying because he's the best fit. He's a better fit, you know. <laughs> and I asked him that question. I was going to say that's the, the exact question you asked him back in November. <laughs> now that I think about it. Oh man, I asked him. You know, why is he the the best fit? And he said, "You just said it because he's the best fit." And I'm like, "Oh, that's not what I said." But you know, it's a funny inside joke, I guess, not on the Colts beat. But honestly, I truly don't know. I think that the first thing you're going to be saying is that you went through a legitimate hiring process because you're going to get investigated by the league. You're going to get scrutinized by everyone around the league. It's going to be a really, really bad look. I'm not saying that you can't hire who you want to, but man, that, that'll be a hard one to kind of bounce back from and, and to kind of show that you're serious as a franchise because like, does he just preach leadership? Point, didn't have a full chant. Like I, I, I don't, I'm trying to like think what he would say. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? You know, uh, my buddy Zach Kiefer asked, you know, Jeff Saturday, hey, what, what are you going to say? What can you sell? And he's like, I'm going to keep it close to the vest. And it's like, is that just your approach or is that because you don't really have a strong argument to say? Because I can, I can imagine if they had gone 7-1 and one, or even if they had gone 3-5, but, but you know, uh, and five, he would say something that's, that would help his case. He just said nothing, and it was, you know, it was all you know, bad before I got here. He, here's... Here's what I think is fascinating. And I'm I'm saying this to provide a different beam of light through the prism here, not because I necessarily think that's the case, but but for either of you two, is it possible that while I understand that the Colts are going to say that they wanted to win games and that they wanted Jeff Saturday to to save their season and whatever else, is it possible that Jimmer say eight games into it or whatever it was, said, you know what, I think the season is lost. And I have legitimate concerns about the roster and the culture of my franchise. And I, so I want somebody that is my guy to come in and be able to basically completely do an inventory of everything and then give me an itemized list of what my issues are and what my strengths are. And I'm going to bring a guy in to do that, and that is the only job requirement I have for him. And if those things come back to me in a fair and balanced report, then he has done his job to my satisfaction, and he and I both know that. And I'm not worried what other people think. Is it possible, James Boyd, that that's exactly what took place with Jeff Saturday? I just don't think so, man. I think that... Jim Irsay truly believes that that was going to be a home run hire. It's going to be something that can you know invigorate the team, help them get some wins. And then you go back to when they beat you know the Raiders. You know he got on Twitter and, and was kind of you know chirping a little bit and saying, "Hey, you know this is why I got this guy, whatever, whatever." And and kind of you know criticizing the criticism of the hire. Almost like Irsay was incredulous as to why it was not universally praised. Right. right? Very quiet exactly. after the seven exactly. losses to follow. By the way. Exactly. So I think that he, and honestly, I think that he respects the game too much to just hire a coach he thinks wouldn't do a good job. I just think that his relationship with Jeff Saturday kind of clouded his judgment. Kind of like Dan Olofsky. I don't know if you all saw that tweet where he was tweeting out some of the, the strong suits, I guess, or the improvements that Jeff Saturday made. And one of the bullet points that he had was that Jeff Saturday, you know, had three halftime leads and, and, and five leads after the first quarter. And I'm like, no one cares about that. Like, I, the other stuff was at least, like, you know, marked improvement and things that you could point to and say, okay, this actually did improve. Like, there's data for this. But to say, oh, he led after the first quarter five times and after the halftime, you know, at halftime three times. And when one of those halftime leads was a 33-0 lead and you blew it and it's the biggest one in NFL history, like, let's be for real here. Like, if we're going to, like, you know, if you're going to go go to bat for your guy, like, be for real about it and, actually name some things that even if they aren't statistical things 
that you can kind of bend in, in a way. But to say that, I was like, that doesn't help his case at all. That makes it look worse. Because that means if you actually led in those games, you lost those, most of those games. So that's not good. That's not a good thing. Yeah, the old Giants three nothing lead to lose thirty eight to ten. Boy, that's that's quite the resume builder, right there. James, last one for me. Um, we'll play the. Will you take the A group of candidates or the B group of candidates? So in the A group, let's throw the two former head coaches. So we'll throw Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn in there, and then let's also throw the uh, throw the couple Colts coaches in there. Jeff Saturday, Bubba Ventrone. So that's Group A: Morris, Quinn, Saturday, Bubba. Group B is the field. You taking Group A or Group B as the Colts head coach? I'm going Group B. I feel like there's going to be someone probably. If you really want to start over, start fresh. Give someone a, a you know a shot with this thing. Um, I'd probably go Group B. Um, and again, so you're going a little coordinator, gets, kind of the younger coordinator route. Younger is, coordinator. Is that group. Um, you know some of the backgrounds that they have, especially offensively. I think that that's a little more encouraging for the situation they're in, particularly because unlike some teams, you know, like Arizona isn't worried about drafting a franchise quarterback. You know, they have one, or at least they've invested in one in Kyler Murray. The Colts in a really unique situa- situation where their, their head coach is going to directly affect, obviously, their pick and, and who they get and how they develop him. So I think that uh, Group B is probably my guess. But, again, I want to just put it out there. Of all of these candidates, the only one that I think will be an egregious hire is, is Jeff Saturday. Interesting. Uh, the Athletic is where you can read James's work. James, we appreciate the time and look forward to having you back on. Enjoy the weekend, all right? He's dumbfounded Thank by Brad Underwood's defense as Trey Jackson Davis <laughs> last night. You know, we'll, we'll see if uh, he has, you know, some enlightenment when they play again, I believe, February 18th in Bloomington. I'm hoping to go. Hoping to go to Assembly Hall for the first time for a game. So, uh, win or lose, I just want to experience a good basketball game. And they heard, they told me it's the best, you know, environment in the country. So, um, from seeing it on TV, it kind of looks like it. So I'm excited to go. It's James, cool have, a, have a great weekend, man. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Are you all too? The Fan. Uh, I have told this story before many times, but it is one of my favorites. When I was in college... Uh, I lived technically next door to, although we kind of made it one big apartment. Um, totally randomly, uh, Pat Knight, we became very good friends, great guy. And Ryan Carr, who's now with the Pacers, also uh, lived there. But when Indiana was set to play Michigan State in Bloomington in Judd Heathcote's last year at Michigan State, and they knew it was going to be Judd Heathcote's last year, we were sitting around that afternoon. It was like a Thursday game or Tuesday game or something. Uh, just sitting around the apartment and the phone rings and, and it's been a long time ago obviously so I can't recall if it was Bob Knight or probably more likely his one of his assistants that, that called but called the home phone and Pat answers and yeah well yeah okay yeah I, I, all right yeah okay, no yeah okay that's fine and hangs up and says well guys I, we got to go where are we going well we had to go to Bob Knight's house because in his garage he had a garage full of stuff that people would just send to him as gifts and donations or products you know to promote and he called or the I can't remember if it was he or the anyway they, they were like look we got to get something for Judd Heathcote I guess he's retiring and there's a there's a green leather recliner in the garage that somebody had donated to me like two years ago as some sort of a gift and it's still in the plastic wrap so can you go grab that thing and head over to the college mall and at that place called things remembered have them put a brass plaque on the back that says congratulations judd heathcote <laughs> so drove over there like three in the afternoon pulled this nothing says congrats coach like that <laughs> leather recliner and re-gifted it right there to judd heathcote at halftime of the indiana michigan state game yeah yeah let's wheel that thing out to midcourt and a fan can sit in it actually during <laughs> that's the right so that was the, that was the well thought out gift. That uh, Jake, we got a little bit of a Tyrese Halliburton update. Um, I am assuming this was recorded yesterday. Uh, this is Halliburton on the JJ Redick podcast, and again, we are a week and a day into the original update on Halliburton, which was he will be 
reevaluated in two weeks. So that would be Thursday, January 26th for a left knee, left elbow injuries. Based off this update, sounds like that might be a few more days. Here was Halliburton with Tyrese. Can you provide us with an injury update? What is going on with you right now? Uh, I heard, well, like they said, I hurt my elbow, hurt my knee. It's probably doing too much. That's why that happened. Usually happens that way. Uh, reevaluate the end of the month. Um, starting to get stronger every day, feeling better every day. Uh, got my second opinion. So things are going well, you know, hopefully at the end of the month, things are, you know, hopefully in the next, you know, 11, 12 days, I feel better and, uh, I can get back to start February. That's the goal. So again, Jake, that sounds to be a little bit later than the original two-week reevaluation. Yep. If you look at the games between now and then, at Denver, at Phoenix, the back-to-back Friday and Saturday night right here this weekend, then return home to take on the Bulls at Orlando, Milwaukee, and at Memphis. So that is a really a, quite the stretch. A couple of doable games in there. But just a couple. February right? 2nd, February 3rd, you'd have the Lakers and Kings back-to-back. Jake, I think the real question you have to ask yourself, if we're getting to the end of January, why not just wait till the All-Star break? February 15th. He knows you got that win total going. He wants to get back. Do you really want to rush it? Hey, let's get him out there on February 6th. Yeah. You know, at that point... Fair. Again, like... You don't want to risk it with your franchise player. But not a great update there. Again, I think we kind of expected it to be longer than two weeks, and it sounds like that's what it will be on the Halliburton front. All right, let's give out uh, – let's, let's make some picks for these divisional games. You want to do that? Yep. All right, let's start with the first one. Saturday, 4.30, winners of 7 of 8 would be the Jags. Ironically, they lost Week 10 in Kansas City. Since then, they've won 7 of 8. Uh, minus eight and a half, as last I saw, the Chiefs yep. as the favorite. There is always a game in the postseason that puts things off kilter. I remember when New England nine, stunned right. the world and knocked out Miami and then went on to the Super Bowl back in 86. The Colts going into Kansas City with Len Elliott missing kicks. There's always a game that, that throws the world on its ear. Baltimore upsetting Peyton Manning in Denver. You're going with your guy? This is going to go one of two ways. They're either Jacksonville is either going to get absolutely blown off the field or they're going to hang around. Yeah, Jags over Denver in 96. Jags do it again. Jacksonville stuns the Ooh, world. Look at this. That's my upset pick. Jacksonville wins an arrowhead. Mark? Uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I don't know. I think it'll be closer than the eight and a half, but the Chiefs will still win. Yeah, I'm kind of with Mark. You know, you think in recent years, you had the Texans and Titans hang in there on the road at Arrowhead. I think Jacksonville could do that. Um, I'll go with Kansas City. This would be the third team in NFL history to make five straight AFC championships if the Chiefs are able to win. Patriots did it 2011 to 18. You got to go all the way back to the 70s with the Raiders. Uh, pretty impressive if the Chiefs accomplish that on Saturday. All right, the nightcap. Mark, uh, you lead us off. Giants, Eagles, a touchdown favorite there, the Eagles. Giants have been uh, a fun team for the year. Brian Dable, hell of a first year. It ends on Saturday night, though. Eagles will win. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I, I don't think New York's got enough to hang with Philly. You guys worry about the health? Jalen Hurts at all? No, I think they got enough weapons. Huh. I think his running element is a big, big deal. We saw in the wild card week in the divisional the, the division matchups, third time, very close games. I'm mm-hmm. curious if the Giants can kind of hang in there, uh, but I'll go with the Eagles there. All right, Shifton Garris this Sunday. Two great matchups, Bengals and Bills. This spread, four or five. Uh, five and a half now. The Bills favored in this one. Since he's won nine in a row, Buffalo's won eight in a row. Uh, Buffalo's a great story, and it's been an unbelievable run, and they are massively talented, but Cincinnati... Ooh. This game, the game, potentially should be in Cincinnati. Bengals take it out on them. Cincinnati wins. I, I just really worry about that Cincinnati O line. I mean, they could have, should have lost to Baltimore in the wild card round. Um, I worry about that Bengals O line, and I think Buffalo is starting to get a little removed from the emotional hangover. Uh, I'm going with the Bills. Bills have been my Super Bowl pick since the start of the season. I'm rolling with them. It'll be closer than five and a half, though. Well, I got to go with my Super Bowl pick to round it out. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. 
Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I I think Dallas, if if Dak Prescott continues to play the way he did last week, I think they're going to be tough to beat. He was so good last week. I I take Dallas as well. I'm sticking with Brock Purdy. I think the, the Cowboys swing violently. Whether they're like the Commanders game to the game against the whoever they played last week and stuff, but I'm going to take the 49 Do you know where you find his teeth? Who? The San Francisco quarterback. Brock Purdy? Yeah. yeah. Well, what? In his Purdy mouth. The last rookie to win a divisional round playoff game in the NFL? What's that? The last rookie quarterback to win a divisional round game? Andrew Luck? Mark Sanchez? Mark Dykden right there, everybody. Wow. Mark Sanchez and the Jets 09. That was certainly a predictor of a career of the only others to do it in NFL history Joe Flacco, Big Ben, and Sean King. I thought Purdy had some shaky moments against Seattle. We'll see how he handles it this weekend. Everybody have a great, great weekend. Uh, Enjoy whatever's on the agenda. We'll talk to you Monday to recap it all. Kevin and Corey signing off 93.5 107.5, the fan.